This podcast is sponsored by Slow Wave. Are you looking for more calm and less stress in your day? The world is chaotic and distractions are everywhere. It's easier for me to be creative when I feel calm. And that's why I'm really into the new modern CBD experience from Slow Wave. This new brand designed a CBD line to help creators feel calm and centered, to be more creative, stay focused, and do their best work. I usually start my day with their Super Halo Day Blend gummies and a cup of coffee, and it really helps me get dialed in so I can get more done. Visit slowwave.com and use the code BETTERYET15 to save 15% off your order. Better yet, I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better yet, is a conversation that started in 2016, and it's a conversation that continues this week with my guest, Jack Shirley, one of the greatest recording engineers of our time, is on the show this week. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to all who are subscribing to the show on your podcast player of choice. I'd like to invite you to visit our website, betteryetpod.com. And check out our YouTube page, youtube.com slash at betteryetpod. How we doing today, Bubbas? I'm drinking that Dagger Mountain coffee. Daggermountain.com. Follow them on Instagram at daggermtncoffee. My favorite coffee roaster in the USA right here in Valparaiso, Indiana. The home of Better Yet since October of 2020. They got a couple new bangers over there from El Salvador. Santa Matilda coffees from Dagger Mountain. DaggerMountain.com. How we doing, Bubba's? Things are pretty good here. I saw Diners this past week touring off their new album, Domino, a record mixed and mastered by one Jack Shirley. It was great to see Blue on tour. We also had a nice visit from Rap Boys here a couple weekends ago. Julia, Dave, Sean and Marcus came down to chat about the new Rap Boys record, The Window, something we did exclusively for their Patreon. That was fun. Got to give them a taste of Valparaiso. Our blackberries have been harvesting. We got to share in that excitement and then do some recording. We got some exciting episodes on the way here on Better Yet. Looking forward to this fall season. We are sponsored by Slow Wave CBD. Slow Wave is a brand new CBD brand that specializes in crafting CBD products for creative people. Helps you feel calm, centered, and inspired. I use the Hotel Flowers tincture every day, and it really helps me get into the creative zone for the podcast, 
for songwriting, my other creative activities. This is a high quality product, third party tested. Edibles are fully vegan and they taste good too. Visit shopslowwave.com and use the code betteryet15 to save 15% off your order. All right, my guest this week is Jack Shirley. Jack Shirley is a recording engineer from the Bay Area, now residing in Oakland where he runs his studio, The Atomic Garden. Jack has worked on hundreds of records as an engineer, mixer, producer, mastering engineer. He started recording his own band, Comadre, a little over 20 years ago, and since then he's built an infallible resume of great bands and friends of ours, including Tony Molina, Hard Girls, Classics of Love, Punch, Super Unison, The Exquisites, Happy Diving, Winter Break, Gouge Away, Home Is Where, and some other favorites of mine like Death Heaven, Jerome's Dream, Joyce Manor, and Jeff Rosenstock. To name a few, this is an interview I've been wanting to do for some time, and I'm glad we finally got to pull the trigger on it. This is a conversation where neither of us were on camera, but your guy Tim is a freaking pro, and Jack Shirley, super nice guy. Real easy to talk to. This is a super fun conversation. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll see you then. For now, here's me and Jack Shirley. We are joined by Jack Shirley coming to us from Oakland. Jack, welcome to Better Yet. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Now, I can't see you, which is uh, an unusual circumstance. Oh, yeah. But there's no, but you're in the control room at the Atomic Garden. Is that right? I am. It, and uh, there's no video component to your podcast, right? There's no video component. Oh, okay. But, um, you know, I'm just going to have to have to go off the timber of your voice to assume <laughs> that you're having a, as good of a time as I am. I'm already having a great time. <laughs> so did you grow up in Oakland? No, I grew up uh, across the bay in the like Redwood City area. Okay, so like over the over the Golden Gate Bridge into like Muir Woods. Oh no, over the San Mateo Bridge into like San Mateo County. Like, oh, uh, okay. yeah, Redwood City's like halfway between San Francisco and San Jose, basically. Are your folks still there? Uh, no, my uh, my mom is in uh, Sacramento, and my dad passed away a little bit ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, that's all right. These how long happen? Yeah, how long's your mom been in Sacramento? Well, she grew up there uh, and then lived in the Bay for most of my uh, upbringing and whatnot. And then um, she moved back, uh, God, I don't even know, like probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. Who can yeah. keep track? Time is, uh, <laughs> is, is wild, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, your brother played bass in Comadre. Do you have other yeah. things? Uh, no, no. Um, it's my brother and I. And... Um, yeah, we we've played in a lot of bands together over the years. Like since he, we, we, there's about a four and a half year difference between us. And who's older? I'm older. Um, and when he was about 14 and I was about 18, we started playing music together because he was a pretty, um, like promising bass player right off the bat. And yeah. uh, it was like, oh, hey, we need we need this. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's like a Tommy Stinson situation. Tell me about Tommy Stinson. Tommy Stinson was like 13 when the replacement started. And I think the next uh, youngest person was like 19 or 20. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's that's what it was like, except for that we weren't um, famous or very good. 
Um, so was there music in the house when you were growing up? A little bit. My my parents are or were some of the like the least art minded people I've ever known. Uh-huh. Uh, so there was a little bit of music, but it wasn't like a it wasn't a big deal um, in our house. You know, there was like a small record collection and um, yeah, there wasn't really like music on for recreation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you remember getting into music yourself then? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I definitely gravitated toward it at a, a young age. Um, but the, the thing that like really did it was skateboarding really. Yeah, um, for sure. and you know, I was, um, 12 in, um, 90, uh, 93. And so that, and that was like the, my right, skateboarding, perfect. uh, you know, like coming of age or whatever. And that's when skate videos were like super fucking cool and full of all sorts of diverse music. And, you know, you watch these videos over and over and over again and like, yeah, it just all becomes ingrained in you and, and, and like songs that you might've even not liked the first time you heard them, you loved by the time you watched that video, you know, the hundredth time or whatever. Yeah. What kind so, of, ba- what kind of bands do you remember hearing? And oh, I guess man. like, like the rap music is such a big part of skateboarding too. Sure. I mean like, so, okay. The, the biggest ones for me, and I'd have to even look it up. Uh, but like the 92 plan B video was called the questionable video Mm -hmm. and the soundtrack on that alone, just that one video was like, there was like Louis Armstrong, Cat Stevens, the Beastie Boys, um, Primus, um, the doors, uh, like it was, it was a wild mixture of, of music, you know, or I remember hearing Blondie for the first time when I first got my, I got my first like 411 video magazine, you know, oh, yeah. um, like it was the widest variety or there was like uh, Pennywise and, you know, uh, no effects in Rancid and, mm-hmm. and like Operation Ivy. And, um, I heard, uh, Spaz and Rites of Spring for the first time, uh, on, on like a local video that like our shop made, you know? Um, yeah, I was going to say Spaz. Yeah. Very, very Redwood San City. Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was specifically from like right, right from the area that I'm that I'm from. Uh, oh, that's awesome. But yeah, so it was um, skateboarding. Absolutely saved my life. It like the full cliche, you know. Like it was the it was the thing that like uh, when I was young, I, I was we were all like straight edge kids, and like like that that scene got me into that. Um, that scene got me into like. I heard hardcore for the first time, you know, like yeah. from a, from a, a sampler that was left at the skate shop, you know, like that, that kind of shit. So like, yeah, skateboarding, I would credit just completely with my like growth as a, as a human in general, but, but specifically for music. I've like recently come into just watching skate videos as like a way to keep calm sure. at work. <laughs> I was yeah. never like into skate. I guess I had like that little period when I was getting into like Pennywise and all the things on the Punkarama uh, mm-hmm. soundtrack. Um, but yeah, skateboarding videos have just like recently come into my life as like a source of calm. Yeah. They're wonderful. And um, I'm just getting back into skateboarding also, which is weird. Cause it's been a lot of years and I'm like, I'm 42 years old now. And yeah, like, right. I'm, how are your shins? I'm, 
they're fine. I, I'm a little rickety because I I just sit around uh, and work in the studio most of the time these days. Like I don't really even play guitar that much anymore, and I've been getting ready for that. Uh, or like uh, we're gonna be playing again more, and um, and even just the physicality of like standing up and playing hard. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I gotta wake up this body, you know? Yeah, you're playing again more for for what what purposes? Um, I play. I I well, I've been playing with the that band Dangers from L.A. Um, oh, cool. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. Uh, it's a hardcore band from L.A. Uh, that are like old friends, and and um, and their guitar player left. I don't know five or six years ago, and I was kind of like, hey, I'll I wasn't doing anything, you know, like I'll play in this band. I love this band. Um, and it's been pretty slow going, uh, mostly because of pandemic stuff and because of distance and whatnot. But we we did do a fair amount of touring in 2019 we did like a uh some you know short weeks or whatever in in the corners of the the states and we were getting ready to write a record and um and then everybody shut down and whatever but um we got some shows a couple shows coming up this fall and and actually one of the things the main thing i'm preparing for is this year is 20 years of the recording studio and so i'm throwing a party at um we're doing a weekend at um at gilman yeah. uh, 16 bands are playing uh food and a bunch of friends and all that stuff some bands that haven't played in a long time uh another yeah. band that i was in with my brother after camadre called everybody row uh hasn't played in many many years and we're just gonna we're gonna do a few songs for fun you know like it's it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good time dude what a fucking dream come true for you to have a party at gilman yeah yeah it's it's gonna be fun we're actually announcing it uh tomorrow so this oh is, hell yeah it's good timing um so what was your first instrument was guitar your first yeah guitar is kind of my only instrument honestly yeah. like I, I i can do some other stuff but i'm pretty useless at it and guitar is the thing that i'm I'm not like a a whiz or anything but i i can i do okay on a guitar yeah <laughs> so what you were you were 13 you said when in in 93 so that's what like like green days thir- coming 13 out? and 94 which is even yeah. more that that was the fucking the time to be alive right. you know like yeah. 94 was an explosion of all all cultural like everything i look at it still like anybody who's listening google movies and, and music from 1994 and the list Dude, is fuck yeah pulp fiction and yeah. outcome the wolves uh alchemy was 95 let's okay. go was 94 all right dookie is 94 Hell offspring yeah. smash uh stranger than fiction my bad religion um tom petty's wildflowers oh yes beastie boys ill communication um it was a crazy fucking time for music like and to be young and impressionable and again like plugged into like the uh skateboard scene and all that stuff like yeah it was amazing Wildflowers is a record that I kind of thought for a bit that Tom Petty is kind of a slouch. <laughs> and my friend was like, dude, got to listen to Wildflowers. It's it came really out good. in 94 and incredible record. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to be king. Yeah. Um, was Rancid a big band for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, yeah. You yeah, they were. checked me on Alcom the Wolves being 95. And- yeah, they were a big one. And and actually, that that's what my brother and what got my brother and I into playing together was I kind of, when he started playing bass, he was he was big into Rancid and obviously like Rancid, the big bass band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of pointed him at like, hey, here's how you teach yourself how to play. 
um, basically, or like, here's how you figure out a song. Here's how you do whatever. And he figured out, you know, he, he was playing all that rancid stuff like, at a pretty early age. He had, wow. he had, a um, he did really well with that stuff. And so, um, yeah, they were a huge deal. Like th- those first five records. So from like rancid from like 93 to 2000 yeah, was, definitely. was, uh, amazing for me. Like, and, um, as a side note, the, a couple of the members of Rancid have have recorded at, in my like at the other studio here a that couple rules. times now, yeah. and it's it's pretty fucking wild to be like in the hallway going to the bathroom or whatever, and like there's Matt Freeman just walking down the hallway. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, does he talk one. like he sings? Does he sound like <laughs> no? He talks he talks pretty pretty smooth actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's one thing I'll say is uh, being involved like as being super young and like getting exposed to all that stuff and being super excited about it and, and all that. Um, and then sticking around in this scene in this area for so long, you just uh, inevitably end up kind of like brushing elbows with, with people. Um, like yeah. uh, some, about know, 10 years ago or so I got to record Jesse Michaels from operation Ivy. Like we did a oh, record yeah. together. Uh, oh, for you Classics definitely did. Yeah. And like, and I was still like, I couldn't fucking believe it. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, there was a point where I, w- I had to say it out loud. Like Jesse Michaels in my vocal booth and he's asking me what I think about the take he just did. You know, like, fuck, what the fuck? You know, uh-huh. like, yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So all those bands from like Green Day, Operation Ivy, Rancid, um, No Effects, you know, like all, yeah, all those totally. like fat and epitaph bands. That was like my earliest um, kind of uh, obsessions and stuff. And uh yeah, it's it's just, you know, the music stuff has just kind of gone in every direction since then. Going back too to like those Jerry Finn and Rob Cavallo mm-hmm. punk records still just sound so incredible. Totally. I, I think um, I'm pretty sure it's Jerry Finn, but there's that one um, Smoking Pope's record that is still like in my uh, reference folder you know of like, qu- is it born to quit no it's um destination failure yeah also sounds fucking it sounds incredible. so good uh mm-hmm. and it's it still sounds I, like i listened to it in a in a car with a not great stereo system recently i just kind of let the whole thing go and uh and jesus like even on a little like shitty system it was like it, it jumps out of the speakers it's cool yeah oh man i just i love that song megan Mm-hmm. on destination failure yeah. I'm, I'm actually from crystal lake which is where the smoking popes are from oh cool close to chicago and mm-hmm. um yeah i remember seeing them when i was like 20 and and josh said he wrote megan about the train station in crystal lake and like my brain just melted oh that's awesome um so was Comadre your first band no you you said that you played in a in a couple bands with your brother yeah i was um by the time Comadre started, I was the oldest one in Comadre, and, and I was probably, okay, it was 2004, so I would have been 23. Um, so, so yeah, by, I mean, I was playing in bands, f- you know, for probably almost 10 years before that, uh, but none of them were terribly remarkable. Comadre was the one that, like, it was the, the kind of that right place, right time for all of us to, like, to kind of creatively come together and we were all at times in our lives where we could go on tour and like not ruin our lives. Um, and yeah, so there was stuff before, but it's not really worth revisiting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I saw in my research that you went to school for animation. 
yeah, illustration and animation, and mostly illustration. But I, I, uh, I was getting a BFA in illustration and animation, and I, I made it almost all the way through. But I ended up just graduating early because I was completely consumed with recording and whatnot. And so that was, that was um, like two, the end of 2005, I finished school. Yeah. What was the, did you have a plan like going in for illustration? Um, it was one of those things where I was expected to go to school for something. Um, mm -hmm. And... San Jose State was close enough to me that I could commute to it. And they had an illustration program, which was probably one of the only things that I cared enough about to not like be bummed to go to school, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but, and, and, and then I kind of, as kind of luck would have it, I guess, I mean, um, it turns out that the illustration animation program at San Jose State is like number two in North America or something. You know what I mean? Like they're like a big deal. Um, and they're turning over graduates like directly to Pixar and Disney and all that stuff. And oh, it's wow. like a whole yeah. pre prestigious thing, but, uh, which is cool and everything, but the byproduct of that for somebody who's not like completely dedicated to it and living it, you know, is that you, you peep, everybody else kind of like shoots past you because they, they are living it, you know, like they're doing, uh, it's their whole life. They wake up and they think about drawing and, and, and they do it really well and they get better and better at it. And I was kind of sidelined over here doing audio stuff yeah and it, and it was very clear to me that like okay i i this is not a priority like i need to move along you know i had a similar experience like that i was an education major and it took mm -hmm. a little bit of time of me being like yeah do i really want to tell kids that i think that they should vote and <laughs> you know it was just clearly not for me yeah. and sometimes that's just how it is yeah totally and especially when, you know, you have, I guess, a, a budding interest in audio engineering. Like, if you're waking up and you're thinking about that, mm -hmm. that's probably a good indicator that at least you should drop this uh, this uh, major that you have. Well, there was a point where I was working 30 hours a week. I was going to school 30 hours a week. And I was recording probably close to 30 hours a week. And wow. so it was like one of these has to stop. Um, and it was it was a little bit of a gamble. Um, you know, at the time I was living at my parents' house. I was paying rent. And like, and I, and I the, the thing I wanted to quit was I had to finish school. And I, we weren't there. We weren't quite there yet. And so I quit my job. Um, to like see if I could make enough money recording to pay the rent. And I remember asking even my parents like, Hey, I don't, this might not work, uh, at first. And if it doesn't, I'll go back to doing what I'm doing. But like, is it cool if like, you know, maybe you float me a month or two and they were like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I did it anyway and it worked. And, uh, and I ended up like, I, I, I lived in this little like in-law unit at my, my parents house it uh -huh. was like a converted yeah. garage you know and um and we turned it into a recording studio for like a year and a half and then uh as soon as i was done with school then i found the warehouse that we put the studio in 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 east palo alto and it, and that was like the next you know 13 years of my life wow yeah. so what was the setup when you're recording at your at your parents house <laughs> it was wild uh i mean it was it was essentially one room um, but it was like, there was like a tiny living room and then a little walkway into what was kind of a bedroom, but it was, uh -huh. you know, there wasn't even a door. It was just, you know, just like an open 
and then there was a little bit of a like a walk-in closet but it was like this it, it turns out it was the exact dimensions of a twin mattress so <laughs> if you so I like the, the quote like live room was this little living room area that was just emptied out and you know put some foam on the walls and shit and then the, the little like there was a little tiny walk-in area just big enough to set up like a tiny control room and then I would flip the mattress up on its side and then we had a vocal booth in the closet mm-hmm. and and I did I did you know a lot of records there like so from from the i got a computer basically uh like in an interface about 20 years ago like this last month yeah um and i was i was i took to it uh really quickly and i was super into it and um within i guess a year of of that um i was paying my rent from doing doing records with people with you know local friends and stuff like that wow so yeah it was super fun i'm i'm self-taught it was one of those things where like i being a guitar player you like you you're always like tweaking tone and stuff like that you know like it's 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 a big distraction and you spend more time doing that usually than actually playing guitar right uh and so so coming from that uh, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, I know what I want it to sound like. I just don't know how to do it, you know? Uh-huh. And so um, enough knob twiddling and, and you know, this is before iPods and stuff, but I would burn, you'd burn a CDR of like one song, go to the car, listen to it for like 10 seconds and be like, oh, it sounds like shit and throw it on the, <laughs> throw it on the floor of the car and then go and keep, keep going. Cause I was using like a home stereo as a, as monitoring, you know, like, yeah. cause I didn't, yeah. I didn't know anything. Um, but but yeah, it was it was some really formative uh, time, and yeah, as soon as uh, as soon as I could, as soon as school was done, uh, I I got a warehouse space in East Palo Alto, which is kind of like a in in this weird little industrial corner of this weird little unincorporated city, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, we did an illegal build out. We lived there. Fuck we yeah. weren't supposed to live there. Uh-huh. Um, we weren't supposed to have a business there. It was like everything about it was just very punk rock and um and diy and and i we miraculously i was there for 12 and a half years never got caught (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and made a lot of records out of there like we i didn't so i was there until um 2018 oh wow i didn't realize it was um it was that long in that one spot yeah yeah that was the main the main spot for for a long time how and like when you were building it out um did you have to like build up the walls and mm-hmm. all of that shit too yeah it was like it was a weird um juxtaposition of like wanting to do something right but not knowing or caring enough to like do all the research you know uh-huh. um and so yeah we built like a like an it was an 800 square foot freestanding structure inside of a warehouse and we like floated the floor basically so you like the whole the whole like uh the whole thing was on these little ride rubber pucks Mm -hmm. so like it would decouple it from the concrete and like and then we built walls on top of the platform that was you know that that was floated off the floor and like yeah there there was so there was some soundproofing there was some acoustic treatment but like not really you know um and we now i know because i we we have built a much much more professional um situation in oakland and and now i know so much more than than i did in 2006 when we built the other one um 
but like you know you need a lot of mass in the walls you need a lot of like uh like layers of drywall with special glue in between and all this shit we didn't do any of that stuff um and so not to get too into the weeds on it but like when you don't really soundproof a room it can accidentally sound pretty good yeah. <laughs> um so like because when you soundproof a room for real you're creating like a an airlock you're trapping all the energy inside of the space right. and then and then the result is now that space sounds terrible and and then the art part is making that room sound beautiful and that's what studio designers are good at um but what we did was built a room where basically all the the energy and pressure could escape and so it accidentally sounded really good in this room and it wasn't that big of a room but it sounded big um and uh yeah it was one of those kind of just like happy accidents and so um the recordings from there still don't sound awful to me um they sound fucking great oh thank you yeah i don't know it's I'm, I'm critical of of everything that i do so to me they all everything can always sound better the stuff i did last week could sound better of you course, know if we, yeah. if we did it again but um but anyway yeah so we were there for a long time i lived there for a long time um there was a period where i lived like in the machine room in a loft bed above like the tape machines and stuff like that uh-huh. um it was it was fun I had a really fun time listening through the Comadre discography this week. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you. It was fun listening to the band Evolve and also listening to those recordings Evolve. Yeah, yeah that was a big, big jump. The self-titled uh, record sounds fucking great, speaking of things that came out of that uh, that Palo Alto space. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Like, like the bass and the and the drums have such great depth. And like all of the piano and accordion that's on there. Thank you. The drums were done um, actually. So the warehouse space, we were in this big warehouse building with like, it was kind of sectioned off into these little 2,500 square foot, not little, but into these 2,500 square foot sections. And so uh, that's what we had. But then right next door to us was uh, an antique furniture restorer. uh, And he had this big open warehouse and he let me... We became buddies Mm. and he let me drill a hole through his wall and run an audio snake into his, um, into his side. And when he wasn't there, I had his keys and I would just go, we would go record. So the drums on that commodity record were done in that giant warehouse space. And so like when you hear there's, there's a, there's a handful of places where you hear the drums by themselves and there's, it sounds like there's a lot of reverb on them, but there's no reverb on them. It's just done in a really big space. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, you were in, and you still remain in such a fertile ground for guitar music being in the Bay Area. Oh, yeah. It's for sure. just so cool to see the range of bands like on your Discogs page, especially in the early days of your recording. And there's bands like Punch, Loma Prieta, mm-hmm. Big Kids. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a wide range. Does the approach, has the approach like kind of always been the same? though since it's really just guitar music uh yeah i somewhat i guess like it it can change a bit from record to record but um one thing that i have kind of stuck to pretty um pretty mercilessly is is live band recording Mm -hmm. um so i don't like that's one thing i don't really budge on anymore because i because i've just seen I don't know. I've seen what happens when you don't do it the other way. So like, uh, how, how, um, how much explanation should I give that? 
I think you should give plenty of explanation. So it's something that I think people hear, yeah, and they they, you know, it, it's um, there's enough common knowledge on like you know there's the one approach which is to build it from maybe just drums and bass and then layering guitars, but then there's yeah. live recording, and I think that musicians like to highlight the fact that there's live recordings on the floor. And you've been doing that for, I guess, as long as you've had the capacity to record. I mean, since my since my parents' house, that first that first Comadre LP is basically the way we just set up at band practice, which is you know like all just in a circle facing each other, and we just mic'd all the stuff up, and that's that's what that record is. And we we did very little like overdubs and stuff. It's mostly. yeah so and i still record like that uh whenever i you know whenever i can we put i'll put a band all in the same room with oftentimes no headphones like no click track or anything mm-hmm. and they just play like like amps and drums are all in the same room together everybody plays together um yeah recording things one at a time is super painful and tedious and it takes forever and everybody's like hypercritical of everything that's happening because they're all each player is kind of under the microscope and any uh inconsistencies sound like mistakes mm-hmm. and they end up getting fixed or whatever um and yeah and in the end you kind of lose the like the magic of everybody playing off of each other and like like the ebb and flow of of uh musicians interacting you know um so i'm super uh adamant about it like it unless there's a really good reason um we should be recording live and and that's actually i've been telling people lately that call you know um because it is a common conversation where people are like it's like hey i like the records you do we'd like to record with you i explain the process and the 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 most common response is like man you're blowing my mind right now uh-huh. it's like it's like yeah all the records that you love are everybody is are just people in a room playing together like they're having band practice and and um it's super i think it's intimidating for some players because they assume a lot of things that are untrue like oh we have to all play everything perfect um right we won't be able to fix any mistakes and like that's totally not the case um and um yeah or even like even the bleed that you get uh between instruments uh people get scared a lot lot of engineers get scared about that uh and and they often will encourage people to not record that way but i find it's mostly a benefit um so yeah and then there's the other alternative is like oh it's still live but maybe we separate things where like you know amplifiers can go into a booth or whatever so the drums are kind of the only thing in the big room um if you're looking for that kind of dedicated drum room sound you know Mm -hmm. uh but but even still like yeah the only times I, we don't record live here anymore or for me, for me anyway, is, is if like, it's literally impossible. Like somebody's coming in by themselves and they're going to record a bunch of stuff. Like, like when we do like Tony Molina records a lot of times, um, not so much lately, but in the past, Tony would show up by himself and he would record everything by himself. Um, perfect segue. Oh yeah. To sure. Tony Molina. Yeah. Cause he's, he's someone that, um, I think really was a, a big, point of of recognition for for you and your uh engineering career he's also been a 
past and future guests of this show. He's oh, nice. one of the funniest people that I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah, I love Tony. He can talk <laughs> shit like nobody's <laughs> nobody's business. So much shit. I, I love have it. So many things that I had to um, excise from our uh, first <laughs> podcast because he's running his mouth, and then he's like, "No, <laughs> cut that out." <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, Tony's playing the anniversary show. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Distant Dismiss is such an impressive record um just those walls of guitars yeah i mean i won't forget that first uh time through because it was that was one of those ones where he showed up by himself he recorded everything by himself um and i remember we had a like a couple days set aside to do everything and in the third i think the third day was going to be mixing and um after a couple of days of listening to this music, I was like, I was like, dude, you don't have to come in for the mixing. I got this. This is really obvious, like, and straightforward mm-hmm. and whatever. And because in my mind, I'm like, make it sound like Weezer, you know? Yeah. Um, right. But then, and, and he, in his very like humble way, he goes, oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, one thing though, if you could just make the drum sound as small as possible. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, what? And, and, and then I was like, oh, you know what? You better come in, man. Because like, I, you just totally fucked me up. You know, like that, yeah. that's the weirdest note I've ever heard um and so but that's why the guitars sound so big is because the drum sounds so small oh that's and like yeah and i and i've kind of like over the years since then um you know both of our tastes have changed enough to where like we've met in the middle i think a little bit where where the drums got a little bigger and in like you know things got a little more hi-fi and like yeah um yeah, it, it, it's there was a sweet spot there for a minute. I, I, well, I'm curious to see what he does next and if it'll be here or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, the distant dismiss like guitar tones are. Did he just use like his crate amp because they sound Probably. gnarly, but yeah. also it, like perfect? <laughs> yeah, uh, that I think distant dismissed might have been like the most tony recording we did you know what i mean where like as years went because we've done a lot of stuff since then um and in the recordings have gotten like pretty diverse and and uh and all sorts of different stuff gets used but if i remember i mean yeah i think it was like the crate and like a metal zone pedal or something like that Mm -hmm. and um yeah it was pretty like tried and true it was cool yeah, I love the stuff that you did to follow up with that. Like, confront the truth is just so fucking pretty. His like movement in towards sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. you know, like pop. He would correct rock. you and say sixties. Yeah, yeah 60s I, I know. Are his I know. I, I said that and immediately like <laughs> pictured like fool. <laughs> yeah, totally. And and that's it's funny because a dude that comes in with him a lot, Jasper, who does yeah. kind of like a the some pr- producing with him uh he, he's a 70s guy and and tony will always be like yeah it's just like that yeah like yeah fool you like that 70s shit and then you make fun <laughs> of some recording from the 70s you know and like uh yeah it's awesome um i'm a huge huge fan of the joyce manor record that you did oh yeah, oh, yeah really that's awesome yeah uh, that's cool it that does come up still uh it's surprising it's like a 12 minute long record yeah dude totally 12 minutes and the longest song is the buggles cover right right but like i still listen back to like the last song on that Mm -hmm. um record that acoustic thing because it just there's like six or seven tracks on there they're just Mm -hmm. all like so particular you know and uh it did not start that way that that record was weird um they recorded the whole thing basically twice 
Wow. Uh, oh, and yeah, a couple, like a month apart or something like that. Like they came up uh, with all those songs. And I think the idea was like, yeah, we won't rehearse it too much. It'll be punk, you know, like, like, let's just go in the studio and it'll be raw and it'll be punk. And like the songs were all like, you know, compared to what got put out, they were pretty one dimensional. It was just like loud guitar, you know, mm -hmm. almost like Ramonesy, you know, like just, just really straightforward and whatever. And the downside, I guess, of them not practicing their songs very much is that they didn't, they hadn't really learned them maybe all the way and like the vocals weren't fully developed and yeah. like it, 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 but it, you know, we got done tracking and it felt very undercooked the whole thing, you know, and the vocals I think were uh, a particular hangup. And so what we did was like, Hey, music sounds decent. Like, why don't you go home? You know, we're at the end of the session anyway. Why don't you guys go back down to LA and work out this vocal stuff? Let's get back together in a month. And like, rework the vocals basically was the plan yeah. and they showed up a month later and they had reworked the whole record oh wow and, so, and we basically re-recorded i think everything maybe but the cover the cover was in like good shape or whatever and, uh -huh. and, and um and these songs had completely transformed into what you hear now where like some of the um some of the lyrics and melodies were the same, but the music underneath had like completely changed, you know, like yeah. all of a sudden it's like a poppy acoustic song or it's like some other, you know, some really quiet, uh, thing or, or whatever. And so, um, yeah, I was stoked. It, it, they did an amazing transformation and there, there has been some talk about, uh, pulling the tapes out. I, ha I have the tapes that have the original recording still, and oh, I wow. haven't heard them. Yeah. You know, it's been, I think it was, that was 10 years or, or more ago, but, um, there's been talk of unearthing that stuff and seeing what, what it's all about, but I don't know. It might not be as presentable as we all think. Yeah, man, that's gotta be crazy to be on, you know, your side of, of that, where you have a, you know, maybe like a mutual feeling that things aren't as good as they could be, mm -hmm. but navigating that, I mean, it was, it was it difficult for you to be like, well, you know, you can come back or <laughs> no, I mean, most of the time that stuff is not my call. You know, like I'm I'm mm -hmm. very rarely in like the producer's chair, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was that was just a band decision. Yeah, you know, they I think they just weren't happy with how it sounded. And it was like, well, let's let's try again later, you know, like go, let's go and rework it. I, I've definitely sent like it sounds harsh, but I, I've sent bands home before, not in like a mean way, but like just offered the 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 option of like, hey, we could keep working on this but it seems like it's not ready mm -hmm. and there's not like m almost everybody that that i've ever recorded doesn't have time to like rework things like in a big way in the studio it just takes too long right and so um so you don't really have much choice other than like you know you don't want to spend 75 dollars an hour to have band practice you know um you want to go home and have band practice and not have to worry about you know burning money totally. and so so yeah it's um it's just it's how it is sometimes Deaf Heaven is a band that you've been working with since the beginning, right? You did Road to yeah. Judah? I did the demo. Um, shit, man. Like, that's when they were just like a two-piece. Yeah, right? totally. Um, Sunbather had such a huge impact, I mean, on me and so many people. It probably changed a lot for you, too, right? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and that they did that one live on the floor? Well, so they weren't a full band then, either. Oh, wow. Um, so they, they, when the demo happened, they were a two-piece. And then Roads to Judah, they were a full band. And then um, and then Sunbather, they had kind of reformed. They got a new drummer and, and like, stripped it all back down to just Carrie and, um, and George. So 
So when they recorded, they like there was only one person that played a stringed instrument in the band. And so the you know, the first guitar layer and the drums would have been live, but uh-huh. like everything after that would have just been carry layering everything up. So that makes a little bit more yeah. sense because that 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 record's thick. Yeah, there's a cohesive sound because it's the same person playing everything. It's oh, like shit, it's like that old yeah. Metallica shit where mm-hmm. like they didn't let Kirk play rhythm guitar until <laughs> you know the Black Album or whatever. Yeah, uh, there there is some magic about just the same person playing the parts like exactly the same. And and there's typically there's four layers of guitar everywhere. And so, um, yeah. And and a question I I got a lot around that record is like, oh, what reverb do you use on the guitars? Or like, what delay are you using on guitars? And like, there isn't any. It's just like he's just playing. Shit. It's just four layers of guitar. Yeah. Um, and like washy chords and stuff. Damn. Yeah. That's still a record that I just put on and, and I get totally lost in. We just did the remix and remaster of that. It's going to come out, I think, in um, November. Dude, hell yeah. I'm excited to hear that. Yeah, that was an interesting process, too, because uh, Rich from Deathwish and I were kind of both of the mindset of like, this does this even need to happen? Um, uh-huh. Because it's like, it sounds fine. I don't know. What, what's the big deal? Uh, and then when we got into it, like when I opened the Pro Tools sessions to be like, well, let's see what we did, you know? And I, I was kind of like, Oh shit, because we didn't do anything. Like I opened the Pro Tools session, there was like no processing on anything. Wow. Um, like we basically, like at that time, you know, that was 10 years ago. Um, I had a much more like purist approach to to like sounds and, and uh-huh. the way things sounded and capturing stuff. And so like we would do a, you know, it was all recorded at tape. And when you record to tape, you have to do a fair amount of like getting it right on the way in, in terms of like sounds, you know, you know, you can't really rework the way you do uh if it's digital uh yeah like post and so um so we did we got sounds pretty good to tape and um and then when it came time to mix it it was kind of just like well hey this is what it sounded like it sounds good we just pushed the faders up and got like balances right and the mixing was like next to nothing and so um it was cool to kind of dive back in and like they've they've kind of become a different band since then because we were also leaning into like or i was anyway leaning into like a lot of black metal and like post rock and stuff. The mm-hmm. production's pretty like gnarly sounding. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like like it can be pretty harsh and like undercooked and kind of like just like deliberately kind of shitty. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so leaving leaving the mixing kind of like half done felt like like a like a cool style move or something. Right. Um. But now like they're a much more hi fi band. They're like big. You know the sound is bigger and fuller and deeper and clearer and all that shit. And so um. So mixing it again, like uh, we, it was just it was just a couple months ago. Um, it was cool to kind of give it the like the hi-fi, you know, take. I guess. Yeah. Uh, oh man, yeah. it's so funny because when that record came out, it was like too hi-fi for so right, many for metal people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I love the way that that band has evolved too. Like Infinite Granite is like totally. It's as impressive as as anything that they've done. They just make such pretty music. Yeah, no, they're they're great together. Like they they have a like especially so the the current lineup has been the same since basically since like the Sunbather tour mm-hmm. uh, when they got you know the well actually I guess the bass player has changed but but for the most part it's been the same group of people now for the last last while um, and they they do really well together. We talked a little bit about the classics of love 
record i yeah man i'm a, such a big hard girls fan too me too oh man i still listen to those records all the time yeah dude you did some fucking great work with them <laughs> thank you thousand surfaces Oof, is... what a monster of a right record. oh my yeah. god i couldn't it's believe so it i love the one before it too but it's like the moment the like chords on cork start i'm just yeah. like transplanted back to that place yeah it's an amazing record. Man, I just had to be so cool, like, working with, like, three other, like, Operation Ivy geeks. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, we were, like, it, it was even, it was weird to have them come in on the Classics record, and, like, they're all, like, goofy and buddies, you know, like, yeah. and, and it was just fun to watch them uh, interact, and meanwhile, I'm like, I have an Operation Ivy tattoo on my arm, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm just, like, some nerd over here. Uh, so, it was really cool. Yeah, great experience. And actually, so it, it, speaking of Sunbather kind of like opening up things or yeah. whatever, uh, the the culmination of Sunbather, the Hard Girls record, and the Classics of Love record, were, those three records in particular were what brought Jeff Rosenstock to the studio. Oh, hell yeah, dude. That's and, awesome. And, and I, yeah, and I am forever grateful. It, it, like, it's been about 10 years that I, of, of working with Jeff, and it's like, hands down the most kind of like fulfilling uh and diverse and and kind of wild ride um experience i've had with anybody we've done a dozen records together and and like we've done other people's records together yeah uh where where he's producing and i'm engineering or whatever and and uh it's always a fucking circus and and it's always like an adventure and um it's yeah it's it's awesome i really love hearing that too because like as someone who's been a fan of jeff for a long time you know he was pushing hard girls for Mm -hmm. like since the beginning like honestly like we was pushing shinobu and he was pushing uh pterodon Mm -hmm. um so it's i i don't know my heart just like got a little fuller um just hearing (laughs) that like those were the three things that um that brought that collaboration together well because yeah he had mostly recorded himself at that point and Mm -hmm. like hadn't really been to other you know folks much for 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 that kind of stuff so he was kind of like coming out of his comfort zone a little bit to do the record and so we cool was the first record we did and um yeah i mean that's in dude i listened to that record a few times this week too and there's yeah there's magic going on there there is some fucking magic i mean the dude's a maniac i mean and and uh it's funny because like so this week I'm working on mixing this movie and the, so Jeff scored a full a feature length film mm-hmm. and it is some of the wildest shit uh, like I, I'm I'm it's a daunting task to think that I'm gonna have to mix this thing. We spent two weeks recording it all and um, and we had a full orchestra in the studio. It was like it was the first time any of us had done any of that kind of stuff wow. um, and it was a wild experience and I'm I'm still kind of like can't believe it you know what i mean like yeah. uh, and uh, and i've i've spent days now just going through editing and and just like cleaning everything up and getting it ready to start mixing it's such a uh but but yeah but um what jeff has written for this movie i i can't believe it it's like every 15 seconds there's like a, no, a new genre of, of music and some other take on what's going on and like um yeah he and I were both, we were, I think we were both pretty fucking beat by this process. I, I mean, he's been working on it for like, you know, almost like, uh, over half a year. Yeah. Um, 
I've only been on for a couple of weeks and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this is crazy. Well, even just like like watching episodes of Craig of the Creek and like hearing some yeah. of the things that he's coming up with for that. Uh, right. It's like, man, this is like beyond just being good at writing fucking punk rock songs. Yeah. And like th- those are 11 minute long episodes. Right. So yeah. like this is a 90 minute movie. Uh, it's it's like a monster. And watching him even like dealing with the orchestra and like thumbing through all the note the the notation and like picking out mistakes and Mm -hmm. like um it was really really impressive dude is like he's definitely you know on the level or whatever you want to call it (laughs) i love the record that you and jeff uh and laura stevenson made together oh yeah so yeah 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 i that that record made i like i fell in love with laura's voice making that record um and and it's still like i think it's still criminal that laura stevenson is not like proper famous you know um but yeah that i so i only mixed that record jeff produced it in new york Uh and and i did the mixing and the mastering on it um but it was a privilege for sure that record is absolutely amazing yeah she's just such a fucking unbelievable talent and Mm -hmm. that record in her discography too is like it's such a like kiss off, I think, to the partially the fact that she isn't more celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's such a great rocker. I love the last song on that record too. Is like oh, one yeah. of my favorite things that I've ever heard in my life. For sure, so so good. Um, Gouge away, burnt sugar. <laughs> that record still is like just a standout of punk rock over the Thank last you. twenty years. Thank you. Well, that's that's a big uh, that's that's high praise. Um, so that's a no computer record. Wow. Um, which is which is rare that I get to do that. Um, and and we just finished their new record uh, not that long ago. Uh, I think that they've released one song so far, but like yeah. the new one is really good. Uh, yeah. But again, a no computer record. They they're like they're dedicated to like to to keeping it real like really analog and they did an amazing job on all those songs and like yeah and, and on the new record actually they they did it even more live than like um than the previous ones christina had seen some videos of a couple bands that were recording here where the you know it was like what i was describing before it was like the bands in the live room all playing together and then there's a singer in a in the booth um doing vocals live with the band yeah it as the part of the and christina said i want to do that and, I, and it was kind of like that's always super exciting for me because it's another layer of like, th- like the band all plays differently when they play together, but then the band plays even, even more, you know, kind of like, like in it when the singer is singing, what's supposed to be the final take, mm, um, mm-hmm. with the band, like there's, there's just kind of more at stake. And I feel, I feel like you can hear it. Um, you could just hear it in the performance. The singer sings differently when the band's playing, you know, cause there's, yeah. it's more exciting. They're like, they're, everything's happening, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, on the new record, like at least half, if not more, maybe two thirds of the vocals were done live with the band. Um, and it's pretty badass, I think, for like for people to to do that in the studio. Yeah, dude, that's fucking awesome. Um, man, that band like just to me, like opened up the idea of like, oh, man, if you play something like a little bit slower, but yeah. keep it punk, it like yeah. takes on a whole new value. Yeah, uh, they're really good at what they do. And um, 
and I'm they're one of those bands where like like even on this last record, like we had to do a little finagling with the schedule and all that stuff to make it all work. And like they ended up staying at the studio, which I don't usually do. Uh-huh. Um, but it was like it was the only you know they had to fly everybody in from different parts of the of the states and like it, like it's expensive for Airbnbs and all that shit. It was gonna like totally fuck with the with the uh, budget of everything. And it was like, yeah, like you guys should just stay here and we'll just bang it out. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I would, th- th- that's the kind of band where it's like, I go out of my way to make sure that things can happen, you know? Yeah, dude. Um, I spoke, uh, earlier this year with Brandon and Tilly from home is where, Oh yeah. Oh man. That whaler record is really something special. Yeah. They are, they are legit. Uh, they're going to be playing, in um i think two weeks they're playing in at gilman um i'm really excited i haven't seen them since we did the record that's awesome they had nothing but nice things to say about you that kind of goes like you know to everybody that i've talked to about you so they all enjoy being around you and working with you well that's good i I hope so (laughs) (laughs) uh i enjoy being around them uh, also um but yeah it's i don't know i uh I've mostly, I, yeah, thankfully, I've mostly hit it off with the people that come through. Like, there's only been a couple times where I'm just kind of like, I'm not going to have those people back again. <laughs> um, but that's very rare. Um, let's let's close things out with our conversation here. Let's go back to Jeff, because this Hell Mode record is oh, yeah. just really, really another, another uh, special thing that y'all did together. You went to East West. Mm-hmm in la it's a old famous studio that they made yeah, the fucking a, green album in that's a big deal studio yeah they, they, i mean dude you go back further they they recorded the godfather theme song at that studio crazy um, i don't know why like, i went to the green album first like yeah. a whole list of like sinatra <laughs> yeah. elvis pet stones yes. and studio three but yeah I yeah just chose the green album we were we were in the big studio so there's five studios at this spot yeah and they're all varying sizes and and whatnot and the big one is like yeah some it's one of those spots where like you see the photos of like sinatra with the orchestra and all that stuff like mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff they do and uh we were there kind of poking around that that wasn't the studio we recorded in we recorded in like the the rock studio in studio two yeah um where toxicity was recorded by the way and um, costello spike yes um but we were like we were touring around the studio kind of like looking all around and somebody was like oh this looks like that 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 studio in that thing you do and they're like oh th- this is that studio oh, that's so <laughs> like cool. you know like it's in hollywood like it's mm-hmm. it's this big fancy spot um yeah it was really cool you could tell just the second you walked in the door it's like oh celebrities come here you yeah, know like you right? can just you can the vibe is like it's really the opposite of like my studio life and experience you know what i mean like like we're all from these very diy um and like kind of stripped down setups and like it's weird to go to a place where there's a receptionist and there's like a studio manager and there's runners and there's assistants and like Uh there's multiple lounges and kitchens and bathrooms and like it yeah and like uh the studios have been kept very historically accurate uh, and untouched but like all the lounges and stuff look like a nightclub from like today you know yeah um it's it was a a weird little world to live in for a week record sounds so good thank you so much yeah uh we had a good time i'm you know like every time we do another one there's it's like a different it's a different ride yeah um but jeff had he had that all in his head how does he fucking do it 
You know, uh, when he shows, when, when Jeff shows up with a record, um, he, you know, he has, he records at home. And so he's, and he's got the capability and he's gotten better and better at like capturing and mixing all of it. So when he shows up, the record has already been demoed like to completion mm-hmm. to, a, to like a version that's pretty presentable. Um, so it's, it is cool to kind of be able to hear it before you do it. Um, and then, and then recreate everything and, and get it even better or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's in that. Just getting big drum sounds in there. Yeah. So that, that room we were in, um, was, is from a studio nerd perspective was designed by like one of the more famous studio designers from back in the the fifties and sixties. And, um, so that was, for me, it was really cool to record in the Bill Putnam room because that's like, that's like big time shit, you know? Um, that's where, you know, all the, all the first like early famous recordings were done. Um, he's, he, that same guy was also the designer of some of the equipment that we still use. Uh, that's like, that's very widely used in like all recording studios. So, um, so that was really neat, but yeah, the room sounded amazing and they had a bunch of cool old vintage equipment and so, and microphones and whatnot. Um, but yeah, we, we did five days there doing like all the basics essentially, um, which is like drums, bass, like electric guitars and some acoustic guitars. And then we did five days at my spot here doing overdubs and vocals. And then we did, uh, five more days of mixing. So that was, uh, I think by many standards, not even that's like not even that long, um, right. to do a record that big, but, uh, we tend to move quickly. Yeah. And you got, you got a lot of fun stuff on the horizon. It sounds like. Yeah. Um, let's look there's, I mean, this movie thing is going to swallow my whole life for the next week or two. Um, the, uh, these anniversary shows I'm excited about. There's, um, you know, the schedule is packed out and into next year. And I don't know, man, I'm super grateful to, to still have like such a diverse, um, mixture of music coming through. Like I, I see some folks that only get to work on one style of music all the time. And I think that would really bum me out. Uh, especially if it's like, I don't know, whatever, you know, I don't know. Some, some music is like, is more fun to work on than others. Uh, and it's, it's sad to think that some people only get to work on the not fun ones all the time. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess, I don't know, but that's the, that's the benefit of having somebody like Def having get popular and then have somebody like Jeff get popular kind of at the same time, um, is that they bring you lots of different styles of, um, recording, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. And it's, it's cool to hear the gratitude, that you have coming off of you that's that's inspiring stuff my dude thank you thanks for coming on it's great talking to you good talking to you too heck yeah